beautiful people, and welcome to Unlocked, a podcast focusing on all mental health and identity-related topics through the Caribbean lens. I'm your host, Audrey Augustov, Haitian-American and licensed counselor. Podcasting is interesting because creating a story format happens in very different ways. Sometimes there's a person you know in real life and you want to invite them. Sometimes there's a person you admire and you're like, hey, you should come on. And other times, like this time, you have a story, you know you want to feature, and you wait until you encounter somebody that fits that mold. Chris Williams, who hails from Jamaica, is an occasional co-host on the Carry On Friends podcast, which is a Caribbean-American podcast that I admire greatly. On one episode, there was a conversation about transitioning in parenting during COVID-19, at which point he disclosed his own role in experiencing that because he had taken on the responsibility of raising his nephews. And I had my aha moment. This is a story I will feature on my podcast. I knew that I wanted to talk about fatherhood. I knew that I wanted to talk about it through a less than conventional lens, but still something kind of normalized and relatable for Caribbean family structures. And I felt like, yes, it is so common for those of us who come from Caribbean family systems to be left in the care of our uncles or our aunts and May it be because of tragedy or just what makes sense for the family structure. I had the pleasure of having this conversation with Chris, and I felt that you all would enjoy it because it really highlights the kind of choices that the archetypal responsible eldest sibling has to make to keep the family together and the transition that comes in parenting when You don't get to start from day zero, but you kind of step in at a certain stage of development and have to carry on as if you had always been doing it. I do want to take a moment to remind my listeners that I would love to get some engagement with you guys. Feel free to go into the show notes and see how you can send me an email or send me a voice note. And if you haven't already, I would love the support of some reviews and some ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Now, without further ado, take a listen. Hey, Chris, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Audrey. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I have a rule when it comes to the podcast where I always like to be intentional about how, I'm ask, how I answer how I'm doing, and I always like to invite my guests to be as intentional. Sure. Um, so for me, I mean, how I'm doing today, this week has been kind of rough. It's been a, an emotional week because I had like a, a conflict situation with somebody that I wouldn't necessarily consider a friend, but that is within my parameter that I felt like he could have approached me differently about what happened or et cetera. But so I've been a little bit in my head this week, but I'm in a good space of like having achieved peace and understanding of myself and extending myself grace, even extending him grace. So 
I'm kind of like coming off the ride of being deeply pensive and maybe a little bit hurt. So mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm good. Spend some time with my family this weekend. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. I mean, I, I guess I should come back to answering <laughs> your question to me then given, given the, uh, the way you answer it. And I, w- I would still say I'm good. And I, I say I'm good because all things considering. So from September 15th till now, it's been a roller coaster of a ride with my health. Mm. So I had went into the hospital for what presented itself at the time as appendicitis uh, and was appendicitis. And they did an appendectomy. And that led to me being diagnosed with appendiceal cancer, which is a rare type of cancer. And so that was mind blowing, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, And then from there, I had another incident where I, I had to go back to the hospital, you know, as an emergency because I was having chest pains. Long story short, I had a heart attack before in 2015. And so the chest pains that I was having made me quite nervous because I know what a heart attack feels like. Turns out one of my coronary arteries was about 80% blocked. So I had to get a stent put in. So I had a stent put in before when I had my first heart attack because I was 98% blocked then. Uh, And then I had to get a, a second stent. So it was, you know, it's been a little bit of a ride, but, uh, you know, for those who are not religious, I don't consider myself a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. Um, and I feel like everything has been a blessing. It's been a blessing because had I not had appendicitis, they would have never found this tumor. This tumor would have lived in me for years and years and years until it took me out. And, uh, the power of knowing is, is great. Uh, a lot of people fear knowledge. They're fear, they fear getting that information about their health. Uh, but me, I believe more information is helpful because then I know how to combat it. And so I'm happy to have had that knowledge so that now I can wage war against this cancer and eradicate it because it's got no space here, you know? Okay, okay. I mean, so, that's, I, I feel yeah. like that must do so much in terms of bringing you into your awareness about mortality. And what does it mean oh, to yeah. be alive and intentional oh, about yeah. your life? Oh, yeah. My, well, my heart attack did that. Like when they wheeled me into the operating room, um, they were like, um, Mr. Williams, we have to do this, perform this procedure now. Otherwise, you, you won't be with us any longer. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? What are you talking about? So, so I've had that awakening. And so this, yeah, definitely I understand uh, how valuable life is. I've always understood and appreciated life and respected life. So it's a good feeling. So I am good today. It's a beautiful day. I woke up, I was able to, you know, shave my head, you know, <laughs> get it, get it nice and shiny for this, uh, for this call, you know, this, this conversation. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm happy. Awesome. I'm happy. Awesome. I mean, yeah. I feel like that could probably be, I might have to invite you for part two, but <laughs> I mean, we did, we did um, come here with the intention of having a very specific conversation. Um, yes. I listened to the episode where you were on Carry On Friends, where we were talking about parenting. And when you were talking about parenting, you were speaking a little bit about your story, about inheriting the role of being a parent through your nephews. And so I would like to, you know, first kind of start off by asking you maybe to paint a picture of how you found yourself in the role of being a parent to your nephews, not only in terms of, you know, what the immediate circumstances about how you decided to step into that role, but also the maybe broader 
family dynamic that requires your nephews to be in your care? Sure, sure. The pandemic, of course, may, you know, a lot of changes happened during that time, right? During, we're still in it. Um, and so when it started, unfortunately, my, my nephews were always living with my parents. So mm-hmm. the, as far as children goes, it's my, me and my sister. I'm the oldest. Uh, we're seven years apart. So the boys that we're talking about, my nephews, are my sister's children. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had her own challenges. And so she has not been there and able to ke- really truly care for them. But, you know, she, there's a presence. You know, mm-hmm. she, she talks to them regularly and so forth. That said... It was always my plan to, once I buy a home, to have the boys live with me. But things got fast-tracked when my mom had a stroke last year. A stroke led to a couple other seizures and so forth. So from there, uh, there was no way uh, I was going to leave the boys there for the burden to be on my dad uh, while he's running back and forth to the hospital to take care of them. So I said, listen, let's just pack up the stuff and move them over to my one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn and they'd stay with me. And, you know, the plan was for them to just stay with me. There was not, there wasn't any, we're going to, they're going to go back. It was just, Hey, let's just make this happen now because life changed. Um, And so I fast tracked my role of uncle to, to daddy. Um, And it was, or uncle daddy, as my (laughs) friend says, and it was it was frightening, right? Um, because um, you know it's a seven year old and a thirteen year old, and here I am. You know, I've never been a parent. I've always exercised parental responsibilities in mm-hmm. the in the sense of how I sort of mentored them and how I was how I showed up in their lives. But now I'm I'm actually doing it because right. you're living with me. You know, everything from buying food, clothes, all of that stuff was like, oh my god. <laughs> You're expensive. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, a 13 year old, you know, as a teenager, he just kept eating. I'm like, don't you stop eating? Like, what is wrong with you? You know, so it was a lot, but it was also fulfilling. I mean, I was involved in every aspect. I mean, of course, you know, we were homeschooling last year. So, I mean, on the phone with the teachers, you know, talking to the teachers, any issues whatsoever, I was dealing with the teachers and they knew call me directly, email me, whatever. So, you know, while I'm working from home, I'm dealing with uh, the youngest being, you know, in, in his class and, and the oldest being in his class and interacting with them, making sure homework is done, all of that. And so it was a life-changing experience. Right, right. I mean, yeah. when you talk about this very immediate change, uh, the first thing that pops into my mind is the fact that you didn't have a transition and I'm almost kind yeah. of comparing it to my experience as a mother. And I recently found myself kind of crying to my boyfriend about how tired I feel. And mm-hmm. I and it, it's something that I had to, you know, I transitioned into feeling this tired, like I little right. by little. Um, and, and I feel like I got a chance to prepare. Um, and so what do you feel are some of the unique challenges that come up when it's like one day yeah, you yeah. just have a person at a certain stage of development that right. already has a concept of what it means to be raised and mm-hmm. to have rules and to and, and to be restricted or to be allowed to do certain things. And now uh, you're responsible for that. And they had a dynamic with you and that dynamic shifts. So mm-hmm. uh, talk to me about 
the suddenness of it and how that either helped or maybe disrupted your dynamic with your nephews? So it had to, it was constant communication, right? And the thing is, while I was in a role of being a parent uh, or uncle daddy, (laughs) I also had the responsibility to communicate with Mm -hmm. them. You know, I couldn't just say, do as I say, it's Mm -hmm. my rules. You have to do this. It was like, listen, you got to understand you're with me. I'm here for you. I've always been here for you. Nothing has changed. This is me just doing more, right? Mm-hmm. This is you just getting more immersed in the life with me and me, me me getting more immersed in your life. So that said, the same way I was there for you before as your uncle is the same way I'm here for you now. The the rules of of living in terms of your responsibilities haven't changed. You have a responsibility to go to school. You have a responsibility to do your chores. All that hasn't changed. Your surroundings change. You're not with your grandparents. You're here. But it's not a situation where I was necessarily harder on them than mm-hmm. their grandparents were because these are the same parents who raised me. So they're, <laughs> you know, they don't play. You know, of course, because they're grandparents, maybe there was a little softer touch, but the oldest had to really straighten up a little bit more. So I was a little harder on him. And I told him, I told him, I said, listen, you're the oldest. I, I've been the oldest. So I understand there is a responsibility as the oldest. Mm. And I had to constantly explain it to him. So the things that you're doing, you can't do because your brother is going to follow you. He's going to do those same things. So if you don't want him to get in trouble because you're very protective of him, then you have a responsibility to live and act and behave a certain way. And, you know, the communication sometimes was even tempered and the communication sometimes led to me having to raise my voice because Mm -hmm. he just wasn't hearing me, (laughs) you know, but for the most part, I would say that's what boys are like. Sometimes we're just, you know, hard headed. Um, And so there were times when, when we, we just, we just kept locking, you know, it's like, you know, two Rams just headbutting each other, you know, you know, but then I would realize that I need to just back up and leave him. And so I often got input from my girlfriend and from other friends who have boys and who would say, yeah, just just leave him and let him come to the realization eventually on his own. And so sometimes I, I learned to just step aside, which was difficult for me because right. I'm, I'm very much a disciplinarian. But eventually it worked uh, to some extent because now I would have to say he's a lot more disciplined. Now he's a lot more focused. Okay. Um, and, you know, he's in high school now. Uh, so his responsibilities are just going to keep growing, but he is, he's showing promise. So I feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, I did do something right. Um, but what I've learned about parenting is it's more about the long game. Don't think that things are going to change overnight, that you're going to have instant transformation, just focus on keep pouring into the the child or children, just keep pouring into them. And eventually something will register. And if it doesn't, it's not your fault. You did your job. Everyone processes information differently. So you have to give yourself grace. And that's what I had to learn. I had to learn to give myself grace because I was also very hard on myself, Mm, you know? Okay. I mean, I think something very beautiful, I think about our generation as people with Caribbean identity is in the way that we approach kids differently, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're Mm -hmm. a bit more self-aware and we give 
more space for a give and take dynamic as opposed to more like author authoritarian, like I've decided these are the rules, you're, you don't have a voice here. And, and in that experience and in that uh, approach towards parenting, we learn a lot about ourselves because there's a we kind of have to step outside of ourselves to really mm -hmm. think about how we're coming off or you know why am I angry right now or what are what are right. these feelings um, and I, I'm very curious what you are coming to understand about yourself as a person you know not only in the parenting role but just in your own identity through the experience of parenting your nephews. So I definitely learned. <laughs> I. Um... I have to spend more time reflecting and understanding that these are children. They are still children, you know, cause I grew up in a, in the home of a, a very, very, very strict home. Um, you know, maybe not very, very, I could take out one very, but a strict <laughs> home. <laughs> right? So, 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 so that said, you know, with my father, he didn't play any games. Like, so I had no room for, for nonsense. Like when he said, do it, do it or else. Mm -hmm. And so I, I carried that same thing forward. And I think that he did that because he got that from his parents, mm -hmm. you know, and, and his mom and his dad. And, and so to, to break that cycle, I think I had to learn, how to communicate better, you know, and, and so if anything, I was always a communicator, but I, I almost maybe learned that I need to sometimes over communicate things because their minds as children work a lot differently. Right. And also I was dealing with children in a very unusual time. Right. When we had a global pandemic, they were forced to be at home learning at home, doing everything at home that they weren't accustomed to before. So now there's this component of isolation and they're facing it, I'm facing it, and we all have to figure this out. So I really learned that I had to be more patient. Right. I learned I had to be more even tempered and understanding of everything that they're going through. Because it's not just... I'm telling you to do something, you need to do it because X, Y, Z, it's okay. I understand all of this is new. I understand that what you're experiencing is probably something you don't even know how to express right now. So let's figure it out together and let's work through it together. Mm -hmm. And even now I'm still getting better at it, you know, understanding what he may be going through at school and why he may be rebelling in certain areas and just talking to him as opposed to, getting really angry, you know, because I want more and he's a black boy in mm. America and I don't want him to be a part of the system. So that anger is not anger at him, but it's anger that is trying to be protective of him and make sure that he doesn't get cast into a system that will eat him alive. Right. You know? And so I have to realize that I don't want him to feel like I'm angry at him. So I need to change the way I speak, change my delivery so that he gets that it's love mm -hmm. and it's, it's a desire to see him strong and see him have the ability to cope because coping is so important. And unfortunately we're not, a lot of people are not given the coping mechanisms they need to survive when hardships and trials and tribulations come. So right. I think I said a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ooh, I, I was going to get to like what it means with identity formation. I'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that 
you know, came to my mind when you're talking, when you were just talking about parenting and like what we recognize in ourselves is my own recognition with my daughter of, I, I can't believe how little space I instinctively give my daughter to not get it right, like perfectly right, you know? So how could you forget this? And we have to go back to the house now and you forgot your lunchbox. And it's like, okay, Audrey, like how many times have you forgotten something at home? Of course, an eight-year-old did too. Like what's the big deal? Like, okay, so she's going to be a little bit late. You have to be in a little bit more traffic. When you really think about it, it's an inconvenience, but there's no major disruption here. And I think Mm -hmm. it's... I actually surprised myself in how how much I actually have to remind myself like you have to be you have to put so much work to let kids be human which is weird because if anybody is in a position to not know better it really is children Exactly. Exactly. They're the ones who don't know better. So we really need to we need to exercise patience and I, but we have to learn this because one thing I've noticed is that our parents, they parented very different. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was their way or the highway. And, you know, while that's good, there's still other alternatives, yeah. you know, and, and children, especially this generation of children need to be shown that. And so I needed to learn to be a little bit more understanding mm-hmm. and learn to show a little bit more flexibility, mm-hmm. um, because there's a rigidness that came from my parents that I was starting to portray in my parenting with, with the boys. And so I had to learn to not be as rigid because they're different. Every child is different and every situation is different. And this was definitely a completely different situation. You went from two boys who had their mother, didn't have their mother, to now being raised by their parents, by, by their grandparents, to now being raised now suddenly by their uncle. So it's like total disruption, constant disruption, you know, and now in a position where, like I said, we're in a global pandemic. So a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I want to, I want to go back to when you're talking about, you know, raising black boys and I think there's, there's more to, you know, their identity formation, maybe like being a diaspora, uh, you know, being black in America mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. maybe some concepts of absenteeism um, as it relates to, you know, their biological parents. Right. Um, and so what is that like? Like, uh, cause, I mean, when I think about raising my daughter, <laughs> there's there's parts of her identity that I also even don't have. Right. So I mm-hmm. she's maybe like more light skinned than me. Uh, so she mm-hmm. navigates black spaces differently than me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you uh, I'm sure you can code switch more, but maybe sometimes you have an accent. Maybe sometimes you don't. They mm-hmm. don't have those similar things. Uh, what what is that space like for you? OK, so once one thing you mentioned that's interesting is the identities and having some or, or maybe not having some. So that that are like me. So the youngest is almost the exact He's me. Mm. He is he's exactly like me in terms of the way he interacts with people, in terms of his personality. He's very outgoing, um, <laughs> loves women, <laughs> like absolutely <laughs> loves women. I mean, it's just he he just goes goo goo gaga. I don't know where he got that from. No. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> as I pause, but he we're a lot alike. Mm-hmm. The oldest is a little bit more reserved he's mm-hmm. he's an observer 
he is he's a watcher mm. you know and the good thing though is that we've been able to have conversations about a lot of different things and we've you know we've seen so many things happen you know especially when it comes to police brutality and and the treatment of black men that it's always come up as a conversation whether we're watching the news or we're watching a tv show that you know portrays an image of you know a, a black man or woman being exposed mm-hmm. to a racist situation, a racist encounter. I'm, I'm, I am also curious about, you know, how to process with your nephews, your sister, their mother's presence or non-presence. And, and so, if, if and yes. when that comes up and how, to what extent it's like, let them talk about it versus like, maybe I should bring this up. So I did not bring it up. I'd let them talk about it because, and I say them, I would say more so the oldest. He mm-hmm. brought it up mm-hmm. because there was one day where he just broke down mm-hmm. and he just started crying and, you know, cause he was upset. And so we talked about it and I told him, I said, listen, your mom has been through a lot. You know, she had traumatic experience in her youth, uh, in her childhood uh, that led to her, you know, being in a coma and and so on. And and she went through all these different things as a child Mm -hmm. and then had to relearn and sort of redevelop herself, right? And in in so doing, there are things that may have happened to her mentally that just made her different. Um, But it doesn't mean she doesn't love you. You see the love that she has for you, you communicate. She is just her needs are different right now. And so, you know, as a family, this is what family does. We take care of each other. So just because she's struggling doesn't mean that you should be left by the wayside. So what do we do? We step in and we're here. Um, Those weren't my exact words, but you know, the bottom line is we, we spoke about it in a way that I got him to understand that don't hold any resentment or anger towards your mother. The deeper resentment he has is for his father who is not present Mm -hmm. um so it's and i've been working on him through that you know to get him to understand that look resentment is something that is never going to help you it's only going to hurt you you're the one that's going to be burned by it you know that other person goes on to live their life carefree and and nothing you know have nothing to lose you on the other hand that resentment will eat you alive so the thing you have to learn to do at an early age is understand that you have a life you've been blessed with a life where you're here you get to experience certain things you get to live a certain way Mm -hmm. and you get to be loved by many people the difference that you have from others is you have a community of people so you essentially have two fathers you have your grandfather you have your uncle And then you have my friends, because I do have some male friends who Mm -hmm. are very, who look out. And so I just highlight the things that he has to let him understand that the void can be filled. You just have to learn to understand that holding on to resentment or hate or any negative energy is only going to hurt your spirit. And that's a process. And I don't expect him to get it overnight, but, you know, we keep talking to him, working with him. And showing him that the love is real and that, you know, we're not going anywhere. You know? In the way that you just talk about this process, I, I, I just hear so much of how 
you and your the, your eldest nephew are like vessels for each other. I mean, there's something mm-hmm. I think unique about the challenge of raising him that it sounds like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is it's bringing something out of you, uh, and right. I believe that you're also bringing something out of him, and that's that sounds actually you know really beautiful and transformative to have this person that is younger than you that you know traditionally you're just impacting them, but it sounds like mm-hmm. you know somehow the process of parenting him uh, is transforming you. It's doing something for you. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but that's what, I think that's what parenting is supposed to do yeah. because, you know, if we're not taking away lessons from that experience, mm-hmm. then, you know, and, and, and so that's essentially what life does, right? Because mm-hmm. every twist and turn, there's a, there's a lesson to be learned, you know, whether it's, you know, dealing with difficult people at a job or dealing with difficult people in your family or in a relationship. It's as tough as it may be. We <laughs> have to learn to see the lessons in everything, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right. especially the ugly, you know, because the ugly things that we go through, oh my God, there's so many gems to get from it if we allow ourselves to see it. Right, exactly. You know? We don't always have to see it as ugly. And even like while you were talking I was just thinking about just because of the way that um, the opportunities for upward mobility in Caribbean nations can be limited, it, even without, you know, a major quote unquote issue coming up. It's not uncommon for Caribbean children kind of being raised at some point in an uncle or an aunt's house because mm-hmm. somebody has to go to another country for some time. Right. I mean, right. so, I mean, it's this is a pretty normative aspect of Caribbean culture. I I have been in all of my uncles and aunts house at some point because my mom did, did international work with the exception of my mm-hmm. one uncle who was still in Haiti and even those kids were in my house so I've been mm-hmm. with my cousins at some point living with all of my cousins at some point living with most of my aunts and uncles at some point so right. this is pretty normative in our in our family structures and so um, something that I kind of wanted to talk about is I think that like especially because we want to make lemonade out of lemons, right? And so we usually want to process things in in how it's good for us and and what's great. We sometimes don't give ourselves a chance to feel the truth of how sometimes things can be hard or, or difficult or, you know, that there are some losses that come with positive changes as well. And so I'm wondering, like, what... What are some of your frustrations or maybe some possible resentments that can that could come up, even though you know how to manage it in all of this? Um, no resentment. I would have to say more frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the fact that it's time, you know, not having enough time to do all the things that I want to do not having devoted time to Mm -hmm. get certain things done so things wouldn't be as hard. The frustration is not even with them as much as it's more with myself. Like, Mm -hmm. had I done things differently, I would have had my house now and they would be in that house and things would be easier and then my parents could live with me and then, you know, like, it's all this shoulda, woulda, coulda Mm -hmm. um, because things happen so fast and I'm like, damn it, if I just focus more spent more energy doing this like I was supposed to, now we wouldn't be in this situation. Mm -hmm. And then I had to step back and say, no, you know, it didn't happen that way. Stop beating yourself up. You know, yeah, there are times where that that was frustrating. There are times where that was difficult for me to deal with. There are times when I I really, I mean, I damn near broke down. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
whether it's talking to my girlfriend or talking to a really close friend of mine about things I was going through, you know, thankfully I had people to listen to me, you know, and, and sometimes I would talk to my parents, but I tried not to, not because I don't love my parents, but I don't want to worry them. Right. Like I don't want them to feel like I'm overwhelmed because I stepped in to help them. So now I don't want them to feel like, oh my God, Chris is overwhelmed. What are we going to do? No, I'm, I'm handling it. But really, sometimes I'm falling apart. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But thankfully, I think falling apart and coming back together, we're, we're all going to fall apart right, at some time. Right, you know, at some time, you know, we're all going to sometimes fall to pieces and, you know, get down on our knees and just pray and go, God, please, please help me fix this. <laughs> you know, Jesus take the will, so to speak. Right. But yeah, I'm learning to forgive myself and not. And, and like I said, my, my friend always tells me, Chris, give yourself grace, mm. give yourself grace. And that every time I come to that point, I, I think sort of replay the words, you know, giving yourself grace and, and say, well, okay, let me, let me not uh, be so hard on myself. Right. I mean, you, as difficult as that is, <laughs> you, you brought up something that is so important because I guess as the uh, more stable child, it also creates a sense of responsibility towards your parents too. Uh, in being able to step in as they're aging. And mm -hmm. I feel very aware of the ways in which you probably have a sense of there's no room for me to mess up. Like I have to be a successful person because my parents' ability to retire is riding on me. Right, my nephews right. are riding on me. It's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. It's very heavy. Um, there are times where it's it's unbearable mm. all right and and i'd be lying if i said it wasn't there are times where the weight feels like it's gonna crush me but uh what do they say to whom much is given much is expected and, and so I, I got a lot as a child privilege from the standpoint of being rich, not financially rich, but rich with love, rich with exposure to different things, to diversity, to culture, to all those things, right? So there was a richness that I was raised with. And so whether we never really, even though there was struggle in our lives, you know, in my parents' lives and things that they had to go through, my parents never allowed me to feel like I had to struggle. But, but they did teach me to appreciate life and appreciate the responsibilities that come with being an adult. So I didn't take things for granted or take people for granted. I had an appreciation and a respect and a value for life and the responsibilities of an adult. So I really understand what it is that I have to do. And in spite of the burden and how heavy it may seem at times, it is my cross to bear mm. and nothing can change that. So it doesn't make sense. I, you know, say, woe is me. I just got to push through and do what it is I have to do with the understanding that there are times I may fall. I just have to pick myself up, dust myself off and keep moving. Okay. Um, I have a final question. Do you still get to just be an uncle and not an uncle dad sometimes. So right now I'm just an uncle because of my health challenges recently and 
the boys are, are back with their grandparents right oh, now because yeah. there's, it's it's a lot right now with having to go back and forth to the hospital and things just constantly happening. And then I'm about to do a, a major surgery in, in, a, in a couple months. Oh, so, so it's been, you know, I'm smiling and I'm, I've, you know, you see a, a smiling person here, but it's been a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and I say that to say, I'm not hiding behind the smile. It's yeah. just that while I'm smiling, there's still so many other things going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one would see me, like someone said the other day, Chris, I would never know you're going through all of this because you, you're always happy. Mm-hmm. And it's not, again, it's not a mask. It's genuine. Do I, are there times where I'm a little bit down? Yes. Would I say I'm depressed? No. I would say to you, I did experience depression when I had my heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to push through that and, and overcome it, thankfully. I, I don't take depression lightly. I don't take in mental health lightly. And so I try to be very responsible with with that. So now I'm Uncle Chris and we talk every day. Okay. Uh, the, the youngest calls me just to see how I'm doing. The oldest sends me text messages, wants to make sure I'm okay and tells me he loves me and tells me everything is going to be okay. Talk about something to bring in tears to the eyes. I mean, when right. I was like going through what I was going through and just to hear him say everything is going to be okay and to hear him have this sort of love in his voice, mm-hmm. it felt good because he gave me a hard time sometimes. <laughs> and so, and so to feel that, that love, like he's he a, he's a loving you. boy. He really sees you. Yeah. 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 He, and, and he, and he loves me. It's genuine. Mm. So, so I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate the time now being uncle and look forward to the time where I could be uncle dad again. So, you know, wow. What a yeah. what a reality! I mean, I guess for you and your nephews, uh, yeah. I, you know, I hope that they get to be in a grounded, um, I guess, living situation. I mean, it's yeah, not like yeah. they're grounded in terms of the, what's surrounding them, but it's right. Like they yeah, do a yeah. lot some back and forth. Yeah, the back like, and forth yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the goal is for us to all be under one roof soon. So that. that'll that'll happen, including my parents. Like everyone. Yeah, that's you know, that's how I heard yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Chris, I am so grateful to have been able yes. to sit here and to talk to you and, and like just experience your vibe and and you know thank you for trusting me and my audience to know a little thank bit you. more about you past. Uh, I mean you're not you're not you're not a surface level talker when you're speaking on Carry On Friends, but I do think that you brought us in a little bit deeper than you might you know traditionally do so. Right. And, yeah, and yeah, I, no. I thank you for trusting us with that information. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I felt. I felt the need to share as much as, you know, I did because of the subject. I wanted people to understand that I respect parenthood is not something to take lightly Mm. and I respect it. And I respect those people out there who are doing the work day in, day out uh, that have been there from the very beginning and they don't get the accolades they should get. Right. Because it's like, you know, you only hear something, when things are either really great or really bad. But overall, you know, the work they do every day tirelessly when they have to go to work and maybe some of them going to work and going to school and taking care of their kids, it's no joke. And being sick, (laughs) 
let's talk about being a single parent because I've been in the house with them and I'm sick as a dog, but I still got to make sure they have food to eat. So I'm still cooking or I still got to run out and buy something to eat because maybe I can't cook because I'm that sick or whatever. But the bottom line is I still have to keep moving because their lives don't stop because I'm sick. (laughs) So those mothers who do it, those fathers who do it, it's so much credit that they deserve. So I didn't want to I, I'll be doing a disservice if I wasn't real about what's going on. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. An all too familiar story of the impact of uncles and aunties in the Caribbean family system. On behalf of all the nephews and nieces around the world, I'd like to thank Chris and those like him who step up protect us and keep families together. When we were done recording, I took the time to reach out to my uncles and aunt and reminded them that their role in raising me to be the woman I am today doesn't go unnoticed. And I encourage you all to do the same. Have a blessed day. And remember, real talk leads to real understanding.